Welcome to our latest Rising Tide Ocean podcast. This is David Helberg, and my co-host with the most remains, Vicki Nichols-Goldstein. Hello, everybody. So, Vicki, you dove in the Florida Keys. I have. I actually got my NOAA Working Diver Certification in the Florida Keys quite a long time ago, and um, back in the day, it was magnificent. Right. A NOAA diver. I know when I was 15, my mom took my sister and uh, me down there. And at the time, I thought I was a generation too soon to explore alien worlds. And then I got a mask and snorkel and went off the seawall by the Key Western. And there were like living living rocks and shoaling fish and my first hammerhead and, and sea turtles. And it was amazing, whole alien world. And today we're happy to be talking with someone who really knows the Florida Keys, Dr. Alex Brilsky, a veteran of the dive industry, recently retired professor of marine science at the College of the Florida Keys where he taught coral reef ecology, among other topics. He's a founder of Ocean Education International and the author of a recent book, Beneath the Blue Planet, A Diver's Guide to the Ocean. So Alex, good to talk to you, but before we get into some of the very topics you report on or what you've seen on more than 5,000 dives, let me just ask, what was your first exposure to the ocean, first point in your life where you got into the blue? Well, I grew up on the Chesapeake Bay, uh, so I was a water kid from the get-go, and uh, but actually seeing the ocean was probably a few years, uh, a few years later. Like most people in the 1960s, uh, I taught myself to dive. I conjoled my father into buying me a scuba tank and regulator from uh, uh, Honest Archie in uh, Jamaica, New York, who was a, a major mail order house at that time. Began diving in 1966 as one of many water activities. But what really made its mark, as you were saying before, was my exposure to the Florida Keys. In 1968, uh, my parents uh, took the family down to the Florida Keys. And one sultry August morning, I jumped off into uh, onto a sombrero reef. And it was, uh, it was literally a life-defining experience because... I didn't know what I wanted to do, you know, as a 16-year-old kid, but I knew it was going to involve the ocean, and it was that perspective, you know, my baseline uh, of 1968. I I hold with me to this day, and it's what makes it so difficult, frankly, for me now to to dive in the Florida Keys because I I truly knew what it was, and in my lifetime, it's decayed to such a point that it's almost rec- unrecognizable. Before we get to the challenge and grief of that. What was the course of your career in terms of of diving? Well, I uh, I actually trained as a history major, as a history teacher, and while I was in college, I became a scuba instructor. And when I graduated, I assumed I was going to become a history teacher, but I I graduated into the a glut of the, <laughs> the you know there were very few teaching positions at, at that time, and uh, I took what I thought would be a part time job at a dive shop. And soon found that uh, that was more rewarding and fun than being in a classroom. And in 1976, I entered the the scuba industry full time and spent uh, the next 18 years uh, in a wide range of jobs uh, in virtually everything from uh, working in a dive shop to working uh, at uh, at Patty headquarters in the 1980s. So that was the what I call the first half of my career, but. In that time, as as I indicated, you know, I watched the ocean, particularly coral reefs, just continue to circle the toilet bowl. 
And uh, by the early 90s, I, I wanted to do something about it. And uh, while I had all good intentions, uh, I, I lacked <laughs> any credential to do so. And so I went back to graduate school in 1994 to get uh, some background in coral reef ecology and tropical marine resource management and all the necessary credentials and diplomas. And I, I shifted. I didn't change. I, ca I call what I did a shift in my career uh, from diver education to uh, marine conservation. And I spent a few years at some NGOs, uh, the Coral Reef Alliance uh, and uh, Project Aware Foundation. And then in 2009, I had a wonderful opportunity to join the faculty at the College of Florida Keys. And that was just a, a wonderful experience that provided, you know, incredible opportunities. And uh, I pulled the plug there uh, about three years ago, and I've been doing some interesting and exciting things uh, ever since. You have a, a beautiful book out, Beneath the Blue Planet. And gosh, it covers everything from how the ocean works, the world of coral reefs, sharks. And what I think is so important is what you call doing the right thing. And with your background in marine conservation and diving and your teaching and all of your experience, it seems like this book is really that culmination of a lifetime of work. I want you to talk about doing the right thing. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, there it, it's important that, that divers be knowledgeable about the ocean, of course. And uh, that can be challenging because they're really, you know, there's so much information with the Internet now, especially that, you know, just wading through what is, you know, where to find information can be difficult. So the challenge to me in writing the book was to create a relatively comprehensive source of, of information that would be kind of focused to divers, snorkelers, and basically, as I say, anyone who has the initiative to put on a mask. But that's only part of the process. It's it's not merely having the knowledge. It's also having the desire, the motivation, and the and the the skill to put that into into play. And uh, that's really what the final section of the book is all about: how to take that information and be a responsible diver, a responsible consumer, uh, and essentially uh, really consider your relationship with the ocean and uh, and its residents and and make a difference you know to become you know part of the solution rather than the problem you said in your book knowledge without action is useless your knowledge base you as you say you spent a lot of your career in the dive industry with patty the professional association of dive instructors and others you'd think the dive industry would be the cutting edge of conservation protecting uh what we love, but that doesn't really seem to be what's happening. Well, I would I would hundred percent agree with you, uh, and and one of the points I, I often make in my discussions with I, I still teach dive professionals pretty frequently, and I, I would like to say that our industry has led the way, uh, but to be perfectly honest, we've been dragged into the twenty first century by by consumer demand. Because what has happened in the dive community is is not just it's not just restricted to the dive community. Consumers in general now are very much committed to sustainability, and basically the dive consumer is demanding that the the people that they engage with exercise the same kind of responsibility. And so, 
it's kind of an unusual situation, but uh, it's it, that's really what's come to pass. It's a dive professional cannot afford not to operate in a sustainable way because you know they they won't be around long. It's uh, it's it's finally come to pass that people are beginning to recognize just what dire state the ocean is in, and they expect the people they do business with to have a positive impact on that. The problem is essentially with our professional development process. Uh, we put a lot of time into training people to supervise and manage and teach divers and make sure that they're safe and are skilled, reflected in a very you know, good tra uh, uh, accident uh, rate. But there's very little, if, if you look at the curriculum in, in, in any professional development program, the time that's spent on the environment is is minimal. It's not it's not zero, but it's 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 quite minimal. And so, of course, with the professionals having a minimal knowledge of the environment, they're not going to be able to convey much to their students. And hence, the students come out of the course, even if they're competent divers, really not understanding the ecosystem. And what that leads to, because they don't know really what's what it's all about. They they're initially enthralled with the beauty and the spectacle, but they soon become, you know, bored with that. And I think that's one of the reasons we have uh, uh, the dropout rate that we do. And so that uh, that I think uh, has persisted for as long as the, the current training model has been uh, in existence. Uh, and it was really one of the prime motivations for writing the book, because you know, I'm the kind of person, I, I hate people who complain and don't offer answers. And my answer to this, at least partially, was a source of knowledge for dive professionals. And that's really how I, I focused the book. You know, I, I have had some, I don't know, criticism or comments from divers saying, my God, it's, it's so much information. And, you know, for someone that's just cursorily, you know, interested, I, I can understand that. The book is really written as a knowledge base for professionals. And so that is what I, what, what is in the book is what I believe a dive professional should possess in their repertoire of knowledge. I think that the common misconception is that all you need to do to change someone's attitude or instill a, a particular ethos is to, is to teach them more, fill their head full of more information. And that's not the case. That's not the case at all. We, we need to look at a different pathway you know, in my view, there there are three pathways to learning. I call the hand, heart, and and hand, heart, and head. And the knowledge issue is just appealing to, to the head. We have to appeal to the heart. And you do that. And the perfect analogy is if if you want to communicate some concept to someone, you can give them a textbook or you can give them a novel. And it's the novel that's going to make the impact. Because that's what's going to gra grab them, you know, in, in the essence in making that point. And that's what interpretation is all about. It's understanding that the goal is to inspire, not to merely educate. In teaching reef ecology and sustainable tourism, I assume it's a lot of field work. You have to take people out into the water to understand what's happening and to make that, that hard connection. Nancy Knowlton, a, a friend of ours who we've had on the show, talked about going to Indonesia and discovering all the oceanography students weren't diving and created a whole program to get them in the water, which is probably pretty easy in the Florida Keys, but also explaining 
what your students are seeing versus what was there before. Precisely. The course I teach EcoPro is uh, six days long and we spend, uh, we do eight dives in that time. And uh, probably 60% of it is geared to having them understand coral reefs, not just in terms of the, the, the information, but going out in the field and doing health assessments, doing doing surveys, doing substrate surveys, doing doing invertebrate surveys, and understanding what it means for a reef to look healthy or not healthy. And in the process, you know, while we're doing these practical scientific things, the students begin to understand. And, and the biggest compliments that, that's paid to me is when when a student, you know, comes back and says, you know, I'll never look at a coral reef the same way. And boy, that to me that is success because that's really what we try to do is to have them really understand what's going down there at its very essence. So can you touch on that connection between understanding of the heart, getting that sense of conservation, and then making those personal choices of what to consume, especially when we're talking about reef animals? Yeah, in the Chapter 12 of my book, or actually chapter uh, 11 of the book, I, I talk about a new relationship with the ocean and trying to change the mindset of, of customer to guest. And, you know, because that's not just semantics, that's an important change in attitude and mindset because guests defer customers demand. And by starting with that kind of a mindset, you know, getting people to really understand and appreciate what the ecosystem's about and how magical and special that is. And then with a little bit of scientific insight, understanding that A, coral reefs are extremely susceptible to overfishing. And until very recently, there really weren't many any guides to uh, uh, seafood in a tropical setting, except for the Seafood Watch card for Hawaii. But recently, the, uh, the Healthy Reefs for Healthy People uh, program down at the Mesoamerican Reef published a seafood guide for the tropics. And uh, it's pretty simple. It's it's something a little bit more elaborate than that I've been uh, encouraging for a long time. Don't eat fish that that are <laughs> that are resident to the reef. That means grouper, snapper, and parrotfish. Avoid those. I was in Cuba 2 years ago diving and ran into a 30-year-old Dutch uh, diver asking what he was doing. He's saying I was spending the next 2 years diving the top reefs of the world because he wants to do it while they're still there. So I guess the challenge now is how do we scale up or can we scale up eco-restoration? I mean, we did a media training at a coral restoration conference last year that was interrupted by a hurricane. So we're kind of in a Mm -hmm. race for survival with the key habitats we love to dive in, whether it's coral reefs or kelp forests. Yeah, we are in a race. There's certainly, that's sort of the case. And, uh, you know, restoration, I think, has uh, a place, even tourism, you know, the, the, the term now restorative tourism is, is is starting. That whole idea is creeping into the tourism sector. And, of course, the question is, uh, you know, <laughs> will we win the race or, or not? And, uh, you know, frankly, I, I, I tend to be a, a glass half empty kind of a person. And people sometimes ask, well, you know, it's interesting you would spend your life you know, as a conservationist. And, you know, the and my answer to that is, you know, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope that things turn out well. Uh, the trajectory isn't terribly positive right now, but, uh, you know, I certainly don't want to give up or imply that uh, it's hopeless because I, I don't think it is. 
but we well, certainly are at a at a precipice. I was at DEMA a number of years ago and saw big, large photographs of divers in camo spearfishing, laying on reefs. And DEMA is? DEMA is the Dive Equipment and Marketing Association. They have big dive expos. And I've also seen that DEMA is now supporting more dive conservation. I know that PADI and SSI, Schools International, are putting together dive programs that are encouraging conservation and cleanups. DEMA has been hesitant to address climate change, which is kind of the big elephant Mm -hmm. in the world, so to speak. And so I'm wondering, um, we know that conservation and restoration and all of these things need to happen. Are you seeing changes in the industry where they are acknowledging this and really trying to change these mindsets of divers and those training divers? Address the sea elephant in the room. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think, <laughs> first of all, by the way, I think I know exactly the uh, the photograph. It was it was part of a booth display, and that particular right. company got some extreme feedback, <laughs> negative <laughs> feedback as it a result shocking. of that. It was it was noted uh, extensively in the industry, <laughs> uh, and uh, but but I do think finally, you know, the the jig is up. As I said before, the. The industry is beginning to acknowledge to what degree they're effectively doing something about it, I think varies. I think it would be unfair to say the industry is doing nothing. Uh, I think there are organizations, uh, a lot of the manufacturers are doing a lot now to uh, change their packaging and their manufacturing materials and you know having a, a, a lighter footprint in that regard. And I think what is happening in diving is 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 just consistent with society in general. You know, the old guard is dying out. And as younger people come in who have been, you know, have, 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 who understand more fully what the problem is, uh, they're changing they're, they're changing the nature of, uh, of the industry. And I think there are more and more uh, entities like that in our industry that are doing that. And, and again, the, the more pressure that's put upon them by consumers, the more incentive they have to do that. So I'm looking at your book, Beneath the Blue Planet, A Diver's Guide to the Ocean, and there's a green banner at the top that says Reef Smart Education. So what exactly is Reef Smart Education? And you also teach a course on regenerative tourism. What, what's that all about? Well, first of all, Reef Smart Guides, my publisher, I've known uh, Ian Popel for quite some time, and he and his partner, Pete McDougall, they're both graduate level marine biologists. And they've had a series of uh, lonely planet-like guides to dive destinations for a number of years, but they've always wanted to get more into education. And uh, I came aboard technically as the director of education for them to launch uh, what we hope to be a series of educational materials and even programs that will, you know, better uh, provide the kinds of experience and knowledge that that is necessary. So that my book is uh, hopefully at least we're planning it to be the first in a series. On the tourism side, when I was at the college, I uh, uh, we had a, we have a program there called uh, Marine Environmental Technology, and it was a very very field intensive. My students typically pursuing a two year degree would end up with between 80 and 100 scientific dives in two years. So it was very practical. 
Additionally, I also taught a course there called uh, Marine Ecology for Tourism Professionals. I tried to merge my background in, in, in uh, tourism to ecology, and that course kind of inspired me when I retired to tweak it to make it a bit more focused to dive professionals. And that, in essence, was the, the skeleton by which I developed uh, my Eco Pro course, as I call it, which is basically a, a six-day intensive uh, experience, you know, giving students an insight into sustainable tourism, regenerative issues, uh, reef ecology. We talk about shark tourism. We talk about uh, uh, coral restoration. We talk about citizen science, volunteerism, and uh, and environmental interpretation. And so it's uh, it's really a, a pretty intense six days. So there's the consumer level, which is use less plastic, be conscious of sunscreens, you know, flip flap slop, put on a hat, you know, use only zinc oxide, not petrochemical based. And then there's petrochemical industry as a whole and, and stopping the, mm-hmm. uh, the use of fossil fuels across many sectors and political engagement. I guess people don't don't make that connection between uh, loving the ocean and advocating for uh, large scale change. Yeah, you know, I think humans react to to crises, and it's only been recent that I think people are looking at what's happening in the atmosphere and saying, "Whoa, this is there's definitely something wrong." And so, th- this is another race. I mean, do we wise up and, and make positive change with regard to CO two? before we have you know katrina like storms commonly or not i think that the corner has been turned at least in, in my experience where people know that even if they're not doing the right thing they know that what they're doing is wrong and more and more pressure is is applied every day by folks who are making the commitment to you know, point up the fact that it is wrong. It's almost like smoking, you know, it's, it, you know, and, and today, you know, I think most smokers will agree that, you know, it's, it's, it's something they, sh- they shouldn't do. And, and they, they, I wouldn't say they're necessarily ashamed, but they, they know that it's socially not acceptable. And I think that that kind of mindset might be happening with regard to uh, carbon issues and, and uh, living with a, a lighter f- a footprint. I know I was just in D.C. and uh, lobbying for ocean climate action at the same time, feeling at home because of all the wildfire smoke that was coming down from Canada. Yeah. Um, two years ago, I was covering wildfires here in California. It's uh, that global phenomena. You used to have to travel to cover the climate emergency. Now it's coming to a neighborhood near Not you. More. I think people understand or beginning to understand the ocean's in trouble. They're not very clear on exactly what's going on. And I think what's what's nice on having a compendium like your book, Beneath the Blue Planet, is to uh, have an opportunity to really break down all the cascading disasters and more importantly, ha- how we respond to them, what we can begin to do. And what you were saying before about glass half full, half empty, I, I don't care about optimist or pessimist anymore. I'm into triage. We're going to save what we can while we can. I think that's a, that's a good good perspective. I was just saying, and we're, with the triage, I think we're all trying to do it with a smile on our face and trying to engage people. So there is the sense of community as we go forward. Yeah, we, it has to be a positive approach or people just turn off. I mean, there's still a whole significant group out there that are not convinced. And uh, many of them 
could be persuaded, but we have to be careful as to how that's done. But I, I think we have two essential conservation problems in the ocean. One is, it's the ocean. It, what's happening is, be, is beneath the surface. It's out of sight, it's out of mind. So unless you have the initiative to put on a mask, you may never see what the problem is. And that's why I think divers are so important, you know, in serving as, as, as sentinels and really, you know, calling to task when things are happening down there. And then secondly, is, as I alluded to before, it's the shifting baseline. When I'm living in the Keys, I would be on charter boats all the time. And I'd come back from a dive almost in tears because I, I knew what that reef looked like 40 years ago. And yet most of the boat was just, you know, high-fiving everyone because of the wonderful dive they had. You know, it's it's just what they were exposed to when they were exposed to it. And that's a real tough problem. You know, that's why, you know, I, I really try to encourage, you know, old guys like me to, to kind of hang in there and, and provide the perspective and try to make people understand, man, you know, if I could take you in a wayback machine from one day to 1968 on Sombrero Reef and you jumped overboard, you'd be the most virulent conservationist in the world. Is that what we have lost? You cannot describe. So, Alex, what are, what are you hoping comes out of this book and, and also the course you're teaching now? The book I'm hoping, you know, will provide you know, a source, a single source where someone can go and get a, a pretty comprehensive insight into what the ocean is all about and, you know, appropriate ways to do something about it and, you know, and behave in a way that's that's positive and contributing. In terms of tourism in my course, I'm, I'm hoping to raise awareness for the need for sustainable approaches to dive tourism and uh, support efforts that are already out there. Uh, the Reef World Foundation in Britain, in, in Great Britain, uh, they administer a UN program called Green Fins, and it's uh, it's a wonderful program for sustainable tourism. Unfortunately, they're concentrated uh, outside the U.S., primarily in in, uh, in the Indo-Pacific, a little bit in the Caribbean, and it's it's not really taken hold in the in the in the uh, in the U.S. And so, I'm hoping to kind of provide some kind of example here in North America of what sustainable tourism should be is all about and uh, just kind of broaden that that whole idea. So I'm trying to move the needle is what I'm trying to do in both the course and with the book. That sounds wonderful. And um, I have a copy of your book and so does David and we've really enjoyed reading it. And we've loved having a conversation with you, Alex. We want to- Likewise. Wish- tremendous luck with getting the book out and about and your course. And I'm really excited that it's going to be open to the public around the country and maybe around the world. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for joining us on the Rising Tide Ocean podcast. And we will talk with you soon. Take good care. I thank you for the time and uh, good luck to all of you. Rising Tide is a production of Blue Frontier, co-hosted by David Helberg and myself, Vicki Nichols-Goldstein, with support from Natasha Benjamin and Ellie Curla. Rising Tide's editing services and technical support is provided by Studio Kate May. The theme song is written and performed by Ethan Kenbard. You can find Rising Tide, the ocean podcast at bluefront.org or download it from Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 
Off in the salty ocean, off where the waves roll free The sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear It's true, it's the blue frontier Tear, tear, Off in the salty ocean, off to the blue frontier Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky, there you are. Good boy, Sparky.